0: Well church this is a uh, this is a bittersweet morning uh, for my wife and I as many as you uh, as many as you know that this is our last Sunday service that will be here with you uh, all here at Cross Point as we get ready to transition on to a new ministry opportunity and so I just wanted to say yeah yeah uh a different church here in town yeah Yeah. I just wanted to say thank you all uh, so much. Uh, You guys have been uh, our friends uh, for the last almost six years now. You've been our family. Uh, You've helped us raise our kids. Uh, You've laughed with us. You've cried with us. Uh, You've shown us Jesus. And we will will miss you and, and love you all. Uh, to, to the leadership here, Dan and Jamie, uh, your guys' friendship in ministry uh, has been invaluable to me. Uh, I wouldn't trade it in for anything in the world. Uh, for, for Tracy and Jessica and Lauren getting to work alongside with you guys and serve alongside you has been, uh, truly has been an incredible honor for us as a family. Uh, we will miss you guys all so much. We are so thankful that you guys are in such good hands here at Cross Point. Uh, a, a family and a, a leadership team who will constantly show you the beauty of Jesus. So we are so thankful for the time we've had here with you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can go and open it to Jude. Uh, Jude is a, is a small book, comes before the last book in the Bible, Revelation. Uh, it's a book that, I don't know, maybe you've never even heard of before. Uh, It's kind of like that member in a famous band that you didn't necessarily even know was in the band, but was there all along. You kind of realize that at the very end. It's one chapter, probably doesn't even cover one page in your Bible, and yet it packs a big message, one that is full of grace and hope, which is why we're looking at it this morning. Uh, this morning, we are in the last Sunday in the season of Advent. Uh, a season every year, where, for these four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Uh, we look forward to the second coming, to the second arrival, to the second Advent of Jesus. When at the end of time, he will return and swallow up our world in an unearned love. One that will heal what sin has broken. One that will remake what evil has destroyed. A love that will not only wipe away our sins, but wipe away our tears too. And what this means for us today is hope. Advent is a season of hope, a season for us to become even more confident in our brighter tomorrow in Jesus, that in our lives of regrets, disappointments, setbacks, failures, hurts, wounds, longings, and losses— Advent fills us with the hope of a love that can rewrite the story that our sin and the sin of other people have written about us into a story that ends in non-stop resurrection joy with Jesus. And so the last few weeks, we've looked at how Advent gives us hope for the church, Gives us hope for creation. And this morning we're going to end by looking at how Advent fills us with a hope for our guilt and shame. So follow as I read Jude verses 24 and 25. Jude says, And to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. Two things, right? Two verses, two things in them that we're going to look at about the hope of Advent, the hope of the gospel, in our guilt and shame, in our sin and suffering. They show us in the gospel where we're going and how we're going to get there. So first, where we're going. Uh, Jude, he, he starts in verse 24, saying that at the end of time, We are all going to stand somewhere. We are all going to be presented before God. The image that that Jude's striking here, it's the the image of a person standing before a judge. The end of our stories will end with each and every one of us standing before the all-knowing, all-seeing gaze of God where we're all going, every one of us in this room. Now, if you had to stand before God right now, how would you feel? No. (laughs) I think if we have any real honesty, all of our intuitions would tell us to run and hide. Because there are things in me that we think, if God really knew this about me, he'd reject me. I mean, imagine for a second that you had a notebook and written in it was every single thing that you thought or that you said or that you did. Everything, right? It, it filtered nothing out. It was all in there. And, and imagine... You take this notebook out with you. You're getting a cup of coffee somewhere, okay? And when you get home, you realize that you accidentally left that notebook behind in the coffee shop, and it's got your name written in ink on the front of it, okay? How are you feeling? A little panicked? A little worried? Imagine if somebody called you and said, hey, I found your notebook. How much money would you be willing to pay to get that back? Everything, right? You you just unload your bank account to get that notebook back. Why? Because we all have this intuition that there is a real me, that if the people around me really knew, they would turn away. The hope of our hearts is to be known and loved, and yet our guilt and shame tells us, I can only be loved if I'm not known. And we do the same thing with God. Jude is saying where we're all going is to one day stand before the gaze of God, which should be good news. You and me were created to stand in God's presence, naked and unashamed. And yet something's gone terribly wrong. Because of the sin That is in us, the sin that we have done, the sin that other people have done to us, all our intuitions now tell us that there is no way that God could really know me and still love me. And yet one word changes the whole conversation. Blameless. Jude says, through the finished work of Jesus, where we're going is standing in God's gaze blameless. This is the surprise of Advent for our guilt and shame. That though we will, we will always be imperfect, we will always be incomplete through the finished work of Christ, we will stand before God's gaze of grace at the end of time and be found blameless. Now, how can that be? Is it just that in the end, we figure out that, you know what, God was never really just that serious about sin at all? No, no. No, God is, he takes sin 1,000 times more seriously than we do. And in the gospel, he's erased all of it on the cross. That on Good Friday, his son Jesus, bursting with love, chose to stand under his father's gaze and be found with all our faults, with all our regrets, with all our past with all our sin, with all our blameworthiness on him. That as Martin Luther had the audacity to put it, in the gospel, Jesus on the cross becomes for us the greatest sinner that ever lived so that we can now one day stand under God's gaze of grace and be found blameless. And this will all be true of us. This will all be true of us because in the gospel, Jesus doesn't just take something off of us, our sin and our suffering, but He also puts something on us too. You know, I once heard it kind of described this way: Imagine you're back in high school and you're playing on your uh, your high school soccer team, and your coach comes up to you after one of the games and he says, "Eric, I've got great news." I have gone into the game tape, and I have erased all of your errors. I mean, it, it took some serious work. We had to call in an intern to do it, but, but I got rid of it all. I scrubbed it all clean, right? Every time you, you passed when you should have shot, every time you shot when you should have passed, every bad tackle, every time you gave up the ball, everything, it's, it's all gone, and you, you run home and you find your parents. You say, Mom, Dad, get the TV. You got to see what happened in the game last night. It was, it was my best game ever. You, I've never seen anything like it before. I did nothing. Would that be something to get excited about? No. And yet so often that's what we think Jude's talking about here. We think the gospel is just good news. God's given you a clean slate. He he zeroed out your sin balance when the gospel is, is something so much better than that. It isn't just Jesus taking off your blameworthiness, but then Jesus putting on you his blamelessness. It's Jesus going back in the film and editing in all of his game stats. It's now in the thighs of our Father having to us the same footage as Jesus himself. See, this is the hope of Advent for our guilt and shame. It's not just being washed in the blood of Jesus, but being wrapped in the beauty of Jesus. That in the gospel, we will all stand blameless. Before God's gaze of grace, not only stripped of our sin, but clothed in the resurrection glory of Jesus. This is where we're all going in the gospel. And this is real hope today. For people with things they wish they never did, for people with parts of their lives they wish they could forget. For people who keep stumbling, who keep falling, who keep confessing the same sins. It's hope for people like you and me who would rather die than somebody find our journal. It's hope for people who realize even the best things they do are are a mixed bag of selfish motives. It's hope for people whose souls have been marked by someone else's evil. And who have quietly assumed their whole life that it was really their fault. Because in the gospel, that verdict of blameless, that's not waiting for you at the end of time in some sudden moment of relief to finally hear, but no, through Jesus, is pronounced over you today. Jude is saying, Advent is saying, in the gospel, where we're all going, is God's gaze of grace blameless. With great joy. Jude says, what will define our eternity in the gospel will be an unrestrained joy. Now, have you ever thought about this? Why will we have joy in the new heaven and the new earth? Because our sins has been forgiven? Because our suffering's been relieved? Because this world's been renewed? Yes to all of that. And yet there's something a little bit more basic. We will have this, this great unhinged, unbridled joy, because Jesus will have joy that you're there with him. Revelation 19 describes Jesus as a groom, and, and us, his imperfect, incomplete church, as, a, as his bride, and his second advent, the end of time, as a wedding. Now think for a second, what, what's a groom like? At a wedding. Anxious. Hungry. But joyful. Becca and I were at a, we were at a family wedding a, a month or two ago. And at the end of the ceremony, after the, the bride and groom have kissed, they're, they're standing there. And the groom is he's holding his new bride's hand with him. And he holds their hands up in the air. And he goes, Woo! Just just this childlike, unhinged joy that he has in finally getting his bride. Well, we are going to spend eternity getting lost in a great joy because Jesus, our groom, who Hebrews 2 says, for all of our faults and failures in the gospel, is not ashamed of you. Will be full of a great joy that we are there with him. Meaning that that when Jesus returns and resurrects us to stand blameless in his Father's gaze of grace, we are not going to get an eternal guilt trip. God isn't going to say, All right, go out and have fun, but remember, you don't deserve any of this. We won't get scolded. We won't get lectured. No, we will get swallowed up into what the author Tara Burton calls an undeserved joy. One that we will get to experience in the joy that Jesus will have in getting to present us blameless before his father's gaze of grace. That's where we're going. So second, then, how will we get there? If the hope of Advent is through Jesus one day standing in God's gaze, blameless, with with great joy, verse 25 gives us the assurance we need of how we're going to get there. Jude, in in verse 25, he, he breaks out in praise saying to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now, and forevermore. Now, these these four attributes that Jude uses to praise God, they can seem like four just random attributes, things that popped off in his head. Uh, But they're not random. No, they are carefully selected to help us revel in two glorious truths about God. The uh, the painter Rembrandt, he he once painted uh, a painting that's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And uh, if you've ever seen it before, in this painting, he captures the moment where the prodigal son, who's run off from his father's love, and has finally come home, is embracing his heavenly father. And in that moment where he captures the son and the father embracing, if you've ever looked closely at the painting, all you'll notice that the father in this painting, he has two different hands. All right, now Rembrandt was a more than halfway decent painter. So I think we can assume he knows how to paint hands, right? This wasn't some sort of mistake. He did it on purpose. He gave the Father the hand of a man and the hand of a woman to try to capture both the strength and the beauty of the Father's love. Well, here in verse 25, Jude, is as he's breaking out in praise to God, he's painting a similar picture for us. These first two attributes that, that Jude describes God with glory and majesty, they refer to God's beauty. Beauty that in the gospel is never just kind of abstract beauty in general, but no, it is a glory, it is a majesty that is always connected to God's grace, that is always connected to his unrestrained love for us. And the second two attributes, God's power and authority, that's that's referring to God's sovereignty to God's right to exercise his ruling power, which in the gospel God only and forever does in the service of our good. And it says, Jude breaks out in praise for God's glory and majesty, his power and authority, for his beauty and his sovereignty that he is leading us into endless reassurance that in the gospel we will get to where we're going. Because in the gospel, Jude is showing us we are all being held steady and sure in God's beautiful and sovereign grip of grace. This is our Advent hope. that in the gospel, imperfect, incomplete people like you and me have been pulled into the internal embrace of God, and he will never let you go. Jude says that, that God's glory, majesty, power, and authority that, that will get us to where we're going will never change. That they've been the same before all ages, now, and forevermore, for all of eternity. That in the gospel, God will be the same to us today, that he is tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that, a thousand times over. That God will never stop leveraging his glory and power for your good. That in the gospel, God will never close his heart off to you. He will never stop showing you grace. He will never say you're too much for him. That after all of this life, after all of our suffering and sinning, wandering and setbacks, failures and betrayals, God's promise of one day standing in his gaze of grace, blameless, with great joy, will never fail. is what in Reformed theology we call the perseverance of the saints. That if you are in Christ Jesus, you will stay in Christ Jesus no matter what happens. Only it would probably be better to rephrase that, not the perseverance of the saints, but the persevering heart of God, who Jude opens this whole book with saying, in the gospel has called, loved, and will keep us till the end. The hope of Advent is that where we will get, we will get where we are going. To one day stand in God's gaze, blameless with great joy, we will get where we are going all by grace. Does that mean we have no role to play? No. No, we have a role to play. The Christian life is hard work. And our work is the continual collapsing of ourselves into the persevering heart of God that is unlike anything we have ever known. I mean, think about it. All human love has limits, right? It can only persevere for so long. If we offend someone enough, if we hurt them enough, if we betray their trust enough, eventually they grow cold. Eventually, they get distant. Eventually, they they turn away from us. And yet, God is just the opposite. His majesty, glory, power, and authority form together a fountain of limitless love for us in the gospel. A love where the very things that we think will make his heart grow cold to us are the very things that make his heart grow warm to us are the very things that invoked God to leverage everything in him for our good. Not in some spectacular show, but in the humble death of his son on a cross, where Jesus chose to endure the pain of making our shame his shame of assuming our guilt as his guilt. We're in a surprising act of grace. The eternal son of God was called, loved, and given up so you could be kept. And now as Jesus sits at the father's right hand, at the place of eternal safety and power, he is interceding for you praying for you and keeping you moment by moment sure and steady in his Father's grip of grace until the day of his second advent when he gets to present you before his heavenly Father and the whole host of heaven, blameless as his spotless bride with great joy. See, we all sin we all wander. We all waver in our affection toward God. We, we all become indifferent toward him. We, we all don't love him like he deserves, whether that's in our unrighteousness or in our religious self-righteousness. And in the gospel, we are all kept firm in God's grip of grace, who will never stop leveraging everything in him for our good who will always give his best for our worst, whose delight is to continually surprise us with his mercy, whose heart is not fickle like mine, who's not a fair weather fan with you in your spiritual life. No, but who is brimming with an endless supply of persevering grace through which he remains fully committed and fully engaged with you in the gospel, no matter what you do or no matter what's been done to you. And when we know where we're going, when we know where we're going and how we'll get there, you know what this means? It means we can finally be honest with where we're at right now. It means we don't have to try to micromanage our own reputation with everybody else anymore. I mean, do you know how exhausting that is? To feel like you've got to constantly be filtering and thinking, what can I say? What can I not say? How much about them can I let in? How much about myself can they they really know about me? When we know where we're going and how we're going to get there, we don't have to micromanage our reputation with everybody anymore. We don't have to hide. No, we can be free. We can be free to be honest and name where we're not living as free as Jesus intends us to be. We can be honest about where our story isn't as whole as Jesus died to make it. Because there's nothing about us that God doesn't already know, there is nothing left for Him to discover. There's nothing that we can tell him that will ever shock or surprise him. He knows it all. He's read your journal. He's filled in the parts that you wanted to leave behind. It's all there for him. And in the gospel, he has washed it all away in the blood of Jesus. That in the eyes of our heavenly father in the gospel, this moment we cannot be any less guiltless, faultless, or blameless than his perfect eternal son, Jesus. And so that means we can finally, we can finally be honest with where we're at right now. It means we don't have to constantly filter out the things that we think if God or other people really knew about me, They'd turn away. No, we can be open. We can be truthful. We can be vulnerable. We can risk coming under the gaze, not just of other people, but of God and being loved because we know where we're going and we know how we're going to get there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this hope of Advent, this is too good to be true. It's something so good we need the power of your Holy Spirit to make us believe it. That for all of our imperfections and incompleteness, For the parts of our lives we wish that we could do over. For the things that we wish we never did in the first place. Through Jesus, we can stand before your gaze of grace, blameless. With an unbridled, unearned joy. Holy Spirit, take Jude's words. Press them into our hearts. And set us free free to be honest with where we are right now because we know where we're going and we know how we're going to get there. Amen.